I'm so enamored by doing stuff that will live forever. Doing more stuff like that is just really what fills me up rather than doing stuff that you kind of know in a year's time is just either going to be completely out of date or just non-existent. Welcome to episode one of the Idea Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cho, and it's been some time since I have recorded or published anything podcast related, but for the remainder of this year, I've made a concerted effort to invest more time and energy into having more recorded conversations because ultimately I think that the exchange of ideas through dialogue and conversation is incredibly powerful. The open-ended nature of the title, the Idea Exchange Podcast, is intentional, whether it's psychology or history or finance or writing. My goal here is just to speak with people that I find interesting. And for this first episode, I'm excited to kick this podcast off with a conversation with one of my good friends, Dom Cook. Dom is the head of content at Colossus a media company that's home to several wildly successful podcasts, including Invest Like the Best, Business Breakdowns, and The Founders Podcast. My relationship with Dom is one of the few professional relationships that ended up translating into a lasting friendship. We have a lot of overlap in terms of interests and passions, and even in just discussing his background of having started in traditional finance and eventually making his way into the podcasting space, it's one that I've learned a lot from. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dom Cook. So Dom, like one of the things that I tend to think about is, especially with the relationships that I've built both professionally and like personally, is I'm thinking about like how technology has allowed very interesting things to happen. And like you are probably, I think, one of the best examples of that because I mean, we worked for almost a year kind of together, right? On, on a handful of projects. And then like even after that, we continued to have regular conversations with each other. And yet we've never met each other in person, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, but it's it's a really great example of like the relationships that I hope to continue to have. Um, you are both the head of content at Colossus and now you're a podcast host at making media. Maybe, maybe we'll start there just for people listening. Like what is Colossus and what do you do there? How do you typically describe that to people that you meet? Yeah. So Colossus, um, how do I, I, I have a tough time describing it, to be honest. We are a media company that makes podcasts for the professional investor and um, entrepreneurs, otherwise just business enthusiasts. Anyone who loves business, um, we're, we're, we're your home in the, in the podcasting world. Um, and honestly, it's um, that's probably like as simple as I would say it. But day to day, what does that look like as just putting out um, finding amazing people to talk to, having conversations with them, picking their life lessons and then sharing them through podcasts. Um, and every day it's a case of finding finding new people to talk to, having those conversations, making sure the conversations are super high quality and then distributing them to our audience, which is um, incredibly deep um, in the in the professional investing world. We're mostly focused in the US, but as you can probably tell, I'm based in the UK and with my accent. And that's how I picked it up. And to your point early on, like the internet is incredible that I used to go to work in Bristol, England, listening to Patrick have conversations on Invest Like the Best um, with the world's best investors. And I was in an investing job at the time, but it massively opened my eyes and ears to 
the different ways of doing the same job that I was doing. And actually that maybe the people that I was listening to on the other side of the Atlantic, um, I was more aligned with them in terms of my personal investing philosophy or life philosophy. And that maybe where I was, was good for the time being, but I was probably needed to, to be somewhere else if I was going to find more fulfillment in my role. Um, and I think that's really like how I think about Colossus in a, a few more words. It's like, Patrick has this expression, which is your perception of excellence is based on the most excellent person you've ever heard or seen. Mm -hmm. And I think like that, and that would never make a catchy title for our business. But I think that's like what I try and do in the business world with, with, with Colossus. It's like, just try and find exceptional people who are all across the world and put them into people's ears on their commute while they're washing the dishes, while they're hoovering the house, like any of that kind of thing. If you can just keep giving people fresh ideas and perspectives on the type of work that they do day in, day out. I think it has a huge impact on everyone's life. Um, and I don't want to like oversell what we do. We just make podcasts, but like that's, that's kind of how um, I think about it. Pretty amazing. And it's funny on that quote from, from Patrick, like I've also heard the quote, like the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And it, and it goes back to this point of what I, what I like to term is like the law of exposure, which is like, you have these definitions that you have inherited based on your experience. And the more that you expose yourself to, the more that you actually have a better understanding of what the limits of the world are. And I feel like Colossus in many respects with invest like the best with business breakdowns, it's like the way that I interpret it. And I'm a huge fan of a lot of the Colossus podcast is that like, I am just increasing the amount of exposure that I get. Um, but in terms of like what you actually do at at Colossus. So you're the head of content. I, I understand and know based on prior conversations that there's a lot that feeds into that, but can you talk a little bit about what you do there and what your responsibilities are? Yeah. So I hate titles, but LinkedIn says you have to have one. So that, that, that's my, my technical title. Uh, my, my like actual job is really, really varied, but it does kind of touch everything to do with content. So it'll be and and for the so we've got eight shows at this point across a number of different verticals in the business world, and you've mentioned some of the shows already. Um, and and on each show, I have a varying degree of um, input and exposure. So invest like the best. Patrick is obviously having the conversations. He generally sources all his own guests. Um, and but I I step in when it comes to editing the conversation, giving him feedback, writing intros, or, or helping with the intros and coming up with titles and artwork and making sure that the guests know what's coming and. Uh, have a chance for for reviewing the episodes before they go out and just generally staying in touch with them through the process. Business breakdowns is a lot more involved in terms of like I'm sourcing guests, I'm thinking through what we want to be sharing with our audience, um, finding people or finding interesting businesses to talk about, finding interesting people to talk about those businesses, sometimes having the conversations um, mm -hmm. and then the, the rest of it the same in terms of editing, intros, artwork, etc. Um, and so like in a nutshell, that's kind of what I'm doing every day. Um, and some days, you know, we're recording more conversations than others. And so that will be heavier either on hosting the conversations and preparing for that, creating research documents that we are sharing with guests. Um, and other days, it'll be more about editing those conversations that have been had. Um, plus, that's like really the content bucket. And then the rest of it is we're a small team. So it's like, how do we grow the business? How do we get our content to, into more, more people's ears? Um, and so today I was thinking about what could we do on the website that would be interesting for people to read. We don't have a ton of literature um, or the editorial site, uh, editorial part of our website is kind of a bit slim, but we're looking to build it out. What other things could we do that would bring people into our ecosystem, give them exposure to our newsletter or our podcasts? 
um and and you know the written word is a bit more easy to share than a podcast so like finding different ways in which to increase colossus's presence in the world um is kind of the other big piece of my business uh, of my work one of the, one of the things that i actually don't know if we've discussed before is like your path to actually becoming head of content at colossus um podcasting is like still very young and i think there's a lot of people that are interested especially in producing like high quality content which is i guess the theme of of your your podcast with matt on making media but was this was this part of any game plan or like approach in terms of career building like how did you end up getting to where you are right now no, I kind of ripped up my game plan um, in 2019 when I left my my previous job. And that was kind of like the point at which I realized that a game plan probably wasn't going to be for me. And, and why do I say that? I, so I, I studied economics and politics at university in Cardiff here and then got a job in um, the UK's biggest retail investment firm. And so it's like Schwab, a very mini mini version of Schwab. I think Schwab mm. brought in on a quarterly basis, like what we did on an annual basis. Um, so I think actually it was an even even bigger difference than that. Um, but I, I worked there and I first was on the grad program. I did two years kind of rotating through the business into all different varieties and aspects of it. I was head of a team at one point and in the team there was someone who was old, uh, who had been working at the business for longer than I had been alive. So that was an interesting management challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then I stepped into the investment team after that and kind of went through the different hoops of your investing uh, career, like your CFAs, et cetera, and just met a ton of really interesting managers. And it was through that period of time that I started picking up Patrick's podcast and invest like the best and listen to that on more, more, uh, more and more. Um, and I kind of like dual track Patrick's podcast with a, a golf podcast called no laying up because Patrick only did one, one show a week. So I would like go to and from the office, listening to these different podcasts, plus a handful of others. Um, and, but I got to a point and like part of this is listening to his podcast and kind of what I talked about earlier in terms of like understanding that there were different ways of doing the same thing out in the world. Um, and I got to a point in my job where I felt like I'd kind of reached the natural limit of what I was learning from the people around me. Um, plus I didn't feel particularly fulfilled in what I was doing. You know, it was a pretty big business. It was a couple of thousand people there. Like everything was just difficult. Uh, You had an idea. It would take you ages to implement the idea. Um, it was kind of all, and the investment team, if you wanted to write something would have to go through compliance, which would take a week. They would butcher your article into like this thing that never didn't resemble the ideas that you originally conceived of and by the time you had to publish it you were like i don't really i don't care about this thing anymore so it's like kind of squashing all the energy and ambition you had and i was like this this just can't be my long-term path so i decided um and i was very fortunate to say like i actually i want to just take some time off and so i was like i'm just gonna leave i'm gonna hand my notice in but i don't have anything to go to Hmm. um and i think i need just some separation and just like just to do a ton of reading which to most people sounded wild and crazy Uh, and i think in hindsight maybe it was um a little bit but i had built up you know enough savings to be able to do that and then COVID happened which was helpful for me because um i didn't have to spend too much money because i literally couldn't spend any money um so, so that lasted a little while but it was through that that i kind of just got um a big break in that Patrick decided that he wanted to build his business around invest like the best. He was like, had a very popular podcast had been going for a number of years, but he, I think someone told him he was an idiot for not doing more with it. And so he took that advice and decided that he should build a media business around the audience that he'd built with invest like the best. Um, and initially I just, I, so I reached out to the, to him or Damien that he hired first. Um, and was like, Hey, can I, I can help in any capacity. Obviously I had some free time in my hands while I was kind of just thinking through what I wanted to do. 
Um, and I just did some part-time work for the business for, for probably a year. Um, and the way I describe it is I kind of just like inched my way into the business. I kept just kind of the doors ajar a little bit and I just kept putting my foot further further into the room um, and I seemed to be doing decent work. Um, and I was really enjoying what I was doing. I think a big piece of this, and this is kind of what I was missing in my previous job, is I like I really, really believe in the product. You know, I was consumer of the podcast. I thought their yeah. content was exceptional. It was like it opened my eyes to a different way of doing stuff. Um, and in my previous role, you know, the funds that I was looking after marketing like i had a few philosophical um differences with like the way in which we were managing them maybe the fee that we were charging etc um and but this was like actually something that i really loved and i was happy to work on um and yeah just through doing good work it came to a time where um i also had another opportunity that had come up and i was kind of weighing up both options and i said to the team um, i strong armed them and said look like i've got this other thing um is there is there a position here for me or not because otherwise i'm gonna have to go and take that thing i'd reached the end of the road in terms of my savings um and and fortunately <laughs> they said no why don't you come work for us and that that seemed to suit me just fine wow it's kind of wild i mean I I think about even my break from Goldman in um, this would have been 2021 timeframe. And I think we've talked about it before, but it's like there is a bit of uh, reconstructing your identity to some degree when it's like you work a full-time job in a career, you went to university to study for that career path, and then you decide to take a bit of a break. Um, was that a challenging process at all? Or was it, uh, were you able to keep your sanity because you had prepared yourself like financially and mentally and all that stuff? Yeah, I, the biggest thing I hadn't appreciated ahead of time, because I thought when I looked at it and I was doing kind of the, the analysis in my head of how do I think I will fare? I was like, I don't think I'm gonna miss these people. That doesn't mean I didn't like them. I like them, but I didn't think I was like necessarily needed them on a daily basis around me. Um, and I think that was true. But what I had missed was like when you're out by yourself, just trying to do anything, mm -hmm. no one has, no one is contractually obliged to answer anything to you. And what I mean is like, if you email someone at work, they kind of have to respond because it's their job. They're getting paid to like respond to you because you're probably a junior person in the organization or you're someone else there. Like they, they feel an obligation to reply to you. Whereas if you're out by yourself trying to figure out life, um, if you email someone, like it's probably going to fall on deaf ears or they're, you know, going through a busy day. They see this random email pop in their inbox. They just like leave it alone. So it felt quite lonely, I would say. Um, for a long period of time, it felt like you didn't have anyone that was swimming in the same direction with you because you were like trying to work out a direct, which direction you wanted to go in. And a few people were like very generous with their time, but generally it just felt quite um, lonely. But what I had like decided to do was to, I wanted to start a website and just have something that I was building myself. And so mm -hmm. I began um, a website and just started writing on there and sharing my book notes that I was reading. And that like really gave me something to focus on and to say you know every day i can just do more with this i can learn how to build a website i've never built a website before i can learn like i can do writing which i enjoy i can read books with i had new ideas all of this stuff that was like self motivating and i was it was kind of you know like it it didn't have to go through anyone else they didn't have to ask anyone for anyone's approval i didn't have yeah. to ask anyone to do like for five minutes of their time i could open the book um i could read it i could put some ideas down i could publish it on a website all which was in my control um and like that for me became a very freeing thing and I, I then like started doing other stuff around it as well because then when i was starting to think a bit more about career and what job i wanted to do again like you just get generally like silence back which is almost more deafening than someone saying like yeah um you're not quite a fit for us or you don't have this skill set or whatever it might be 
So I was like, man, this is kind of soul destroying. Like, let me set another challenge for myself that I can do personally. So I was like, I'm going to run a half marathon because I can work on those every week. I can have a plan. I can be like, I'm going to go run a bit further, a bit further, a bit further. And then at some point, like tick this box off. And so I was like, it was just important to keep like while you're trying to focus on this thing, which is what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Having these other pieces in place that feel like you're making progress on a daily basis. Just, I found that to be really, really important. And that, those were the sort of two avenues I, I went with. It reminds me of, um, and you might have read this, but Paul Graham has that essay about um, how it's important to have your own projects and like a project that is actually your own that you're fully responsible for. And I feel like most people that work a typical corporate job, the creative juice kind of gets sucked out of them to some extent. And at least in my perspective, it's like even in managing my own website or even in starting this podcast, like how energizing it is just to have something that you can point to and say is yours. And that um, like actually gives you a lot of of energy and excitement, um, which will feed into kind of your work with, with what you guys are doing with making media as well. Um, but to me, it just that's what what came up in my mind. Definitely. And I'm so enamored by doing stuff that will live forever. Like if you build a website and put some book notes on there or write an article basically to yourself at a point in time, if you pay 20 bucks a month for the hosting provider to keep it online, like it will be there forever. I often go back and like reread the stuff that I wrote. You know, I read like 60, 70 books during that time that I was and, and like a ton of these new ideas that I was able to put down there. And now I can get, it's kind of like a I mean, Microsoft Word always on wherever you are, just like going back to that website and just kind of reflecting on the, like where I was and what I was learning at that period in time. And like that will live forever. I can always point someone to that as long as I keep paying the $20 a month or whatever it might be. But like when you're in a job doing like, you might be doing something really, really good. Mm-hmm. It kind of just gets lost. It decays. And as soon as you leave, you don't have access to these files. And like, if you go and work on a different job, you don't have access to the same people. You can't just ring them up and say, hey, John, can you tell Jill over here that that I did a really good piece of work back then? And it was kind of similar because like you have to start again from zero. Whereas like doing stuff and the podcast is a good example of this as well, like doing stuff that you can just build on top of and literally like compound on top of every day by just making small actions. When you look back, you just realize like, wow, I've come a, lo- a really long way and I have the proof here like you can see it you can touch it i can send it to you um i like doing more stuff like that is just really what fill like fill fills me up rather than doing stuff that you kind of know in a year's time is just either going to be completely out of date or just non-existent it, it also reminds me of like the topic of talent that we tend to come back to every so often in our in our regular chats which is like it's pretty surprising how hard it is to find like highly competent people that just do their work well. And I think that a big part of that is because a lot of the evidence of work that people do, it gets lost once they move to a different job or it's hiding behind closed doors within, um, within a company. And I think that also like is a testament to how important it is for like individuals themselves to create intellectual property that they can point to as theirs as like an evidence for what they're able to to do, what they're capable of. Um, it's that's that's a that, that's such a tricky topic that ta- ta- talent topic, and I know we've we've talked a lot about it before. Yeah, no, I agree. I remember, I'm I'm no crypto or blockchain like um, expert at all, but I remember Eric on our Web three breakdowns show had a conversation with I think Tina who's building something. Um, 
that basically like use the blockchain as a proof of work concept where you could like port your proof of like if you worked at goldman for example and then moved to another investment bank like mm -hmm. there's stuff in there that you could bring with you and say like here's kind of my resume and it lives ah. like it's, it's like rather than people making stuff up on a resume it's like genuinely like things that i have done because there is proof of it and whoever was my boss signed it off and said yeah like that's there for you to see so rather than you having to come up with all this stuff and like embellishing it it's like genuinely there and you can prove it and like, like yeah we've talked about before when you when people when you see people for the first time and like work with them it doesn't take you very long to work out whether they're really good or very mediocre um but if you've like never worked with them before and all you had is a few interviews and you can see kind of their track record at exams or whatever it is it's very difficult to pick up exactly how they're going to work because you're not quite sure how proactive they might be or how motivated they might be or what their communication style is like or how enthusiastic they are like all of these things um but it, within a week you'll be able to figure it out very quickly if you just give them some things and like see how they respond to it when when you think about like the work that you're doing at colossus and on the surface, most listeners, they see the high quality audio, the pretty production, the incredible, you know, episode art that you guys are doing. Like if you look behind the hood, I know there's a lot that's going on. Um, can you talk a little bit about the challenges and obstacles in terms of producing podcasts? And at this point, you guys are doing something like five to six shows and almost on a weekly basis. So it's a pretty massive operation, but can you speak to, to some of the obstacles that you've, uh, you've encountered there? Yeah, it's funny because whenever people, and that was very, very kind of you say kind things about the business, I always like get a bit embarrassed because it feels like the business is sort of falling to pieces on a daily basis. Um, but that's some, that's some of the fun. I think like with the, it, it might be easiest just to kind of run through like, and business breakdowns is always my favorite case for like how much stuff goes behind that show mm -hmm. um because you have to generally great investors are not great community great communicators and great communicators generally are not great investors there are some yeah. very very high profile exceptions to that rule but that generally is the case and so and we really need to pair those two together we need to find a great investor who can also talk about the business in a really in-depth and interesting way um and so finding them is the first challenge and then once you found them like reaching out and saying like hey would you come on the show um, this is what we're about. And then uh, at the point that they say yes, it's like obviously scheduling call. And we kind of tend to schedule something and then it's sort of between two to four weeks out, depending on their schedule. Um, and then we write a research document, which is pretty detailed on the business. And like the point of that really is to come up with, and we have some pioneers who help us with that. And they're sort of their part-time, really high quality people that do work for us. And so we work with them to produce a document on a business. Let's say it's UBS. We want to do a breakdown on UBS and we produce a packet on UBS. And th this is really like, this is what we can find from the internet about this business. This is what like common wisdom would tell you about UBS. Like we want you to pick holes in this document and tell us like all the things that people wouldn't ever know from a cursory glance at Google or like a few hours of analysis. We want to go like layers deeper than this. Um, but that kind of just sets the foundation also gets sets the expectation level of, okay, we want, because most times most podcast hosts go to their guests and say, like, don't get too detailed because people will tune out. We're like, no, 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 please get more detailed than you really want to, because we can strip the detail out if it's, if it genuinely is too detailed, which doesn't happen too often. Um, and then so like we're aligning with them on the expectations, what we want out of them with this research document. And then we have the conversation, which lasts probably 75 to 90 minutes. Um, and then after that, like it comes back. If I probably haven't hosted the episodes, it comes back to me and then I'm listening back through it. 
Um, and there are some really cool tools in the in the podcasting world. The script is probably the coolest of them, which you can like just load the audio in. It produces a transcript very, very quickly. Um, and then you just work through it and you're just taking the chunks out that you don't want to exist in the conversation because you want to keep the flow moving or whatever it might be. And so you've gone a, a first pass through it and we send it to, we have an edit, edit, editing team um, called the podcast consultant who we give our stuff to and they then make it really shiny uh, and they take out the ums and the ahs and they make it very clean. But there's probably on a show like that, there's probably some extra stuff that we need to add to the conversation. Either we miss something, like actually it feels too bullish. We want to add some more balance to the conversation or um, they misspoke about a particular piece of the business and they would like to re-record it. So there's all that kind of stuff, just making it feel like whole and like a really definitive conversation about UBS. Um, at the point that we're now happy with the conversation, like the content, we then send it back to the, their team because compliance is for sure going to want to take a look at what they're saying about UBS. Um, and then um, once all of that is done and they give us the, the thumbs up or they ask us to take a few things out, which which we do, um, then it's a case of like coming up with a title, which we spoke to Morgan Housel about this the other, the other week. And it's funny because he was talking about it in more detail than I probably I would expect as well. But I talk about titles more than I probably should because they, they like such a small piece of the overall pie, but they, they're so frustratingly difficult to come up with. Like you want to come up with killer titles day in, day out, but it just yeah. doesn't happen. And so most of the time you're stretching around thinking, oh, what, like what can I give this that's clever or, you know, amusing or whatever it might be. Um, but so coming up with a title and then, the artwork, the artwork business breakdowns is like reasonably straightforward because we've come up with a formula um, that we just plug in and say, here's the logo, break it up with a, for us. And again, we have a contractor who helps us with that. Um, and at that point, it's the case of like putting it into the podcast player, scheduling it for the next, generally it's the next day. It's, it's quite rare in our business and I hope other podcasters are the same. And it's not just me that we're like, we're, we're, we're cruising up to deadlines um, pretty quickly. So there isn't like a ton of, ton of time. Um, and it's actually funny because if I have an episode that is prepped well ahead of time, when, so say normally, so tomorrow we've got an episode of Web3 Breakdowns and I'm, I'll set the episode later this evening and it's 5 PM my time now. Um, like, if I have, if I had this episode last week and it was, and I set it last week to schedule to release tomorrow, I, I would be really nervous now that I'd made a mistake because I haven't like looked at it in in recent time. I would have to like go back and double double check that it's in there. It sounds like it should. It has all the right sponsors, etc. Um, but like generally, we're up against the deadline, so I, I, I like I'm kind of with it at the time that it's going live, um, and then we schedule it. And then after that, it's kind of all about marketing and making sure that people know about it, which. Candidly, we're not great at the moment. It's more of a word of mouth thing and just focusing on the quality of the conversations and everything that comes up to this point. But um, that's definitely something that we think a bit more about of like, how do we how do we extend the the, the, the life of these things? How do we get them into more people's um, ears? But that like functionally is kind of the conversation. And obviously like some bits take a lot longer than others. Um, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of it. It's it's kind of crazy because I was I was flipping through the Join Colossus website and it reminded me of like some of the best conversations that I listen to and like one of the things that I really appreciate about it is that the transcripts are really clean and one of the things that I do is I'll highlight the top podcast that I listen to in a month and then like share a snippet um, of that and you guys make it really easy for me to do that when it's a Colossus podcast um, but the other thing it got me thinking about is just like how much just quality content is in your guys's backlog that probably doesn't get seen. And when we're talking offline about 
how important it is to sometimes resurface old conversations that just get overlooked or the audience wasn't there when it was first recorded. Um, I think it speaks a lot to that. Um, the the challenging part, and I'm sure you you know, is there's always there's always more projects that you can do to try and like push the audience base or bring to the surface new content. But it's always that question of like, what is the cost benefit? Because you you start a new process and there's like so much stuff that goes into it. And I remember when I was, you know, working with you guys for a period of time and I first got introduced to even the process of producing like a very simple podcast. Like the question is like, how do you limit the points of failure? Because it just takes like one person to either not hit a deadline or one guest to cancel. And then like the whole operation um, gets out of sync, which, so I have a huge appreciation for the the scale that you guys have been able to build this to. Yeah. I mean, like keeping things simple is probably my life's motto. Like, and I kind of, even from when I was investing, I realized that like anything that was complicated was probably going to fail at some point. So like keeping things as simple as possible um, is exactly like what we try and do. And obviously there are points at which like you, you fall down, but generally each step in the process that I described is not it's not like that taxing. Hosting the conversation is definitely the hardest piece of it. Coming up with interesting questions, making sure that you're moving the conversation along, making sure you're digging in where you need to and glossing over areas that that also like don't merit more. Um, like that is the 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 skill of it. Um, the rest of it is just process and like making sure that you're just nailing it. And like th- with that comes with reps. I remember like when I first started doing it, every uh, like midday 12 p.m my time in the uk i would start getting really nervous and anxious because the episode was already live so we set our episodes that go live at 4 a.m eastern time which is 9 a.m my time um and so i can check that they're live and ready and like everything looks as it should do at 9 a.m um but when it comes to 12 is when everyone in the u.s starts waking up particularly on the east coast um and so then like that's when i was expecting or or might be getting a message to say hey this is wrong or this needs fixing or whatever it might be and so i'd always get really like anxious over lunchtime about whether a message was going to come in and whether something was a bit off and i've listened to these conversations probably three or four times before but i already have listened to like the final final version because you're adding these building blocks to the conversation like including the music etc and so there are these like elements that can fail and i always get really anxious but the more reps you do the more time you get it right like the more comfortable you feel and also i think part of the beauty with podcasting is it's it's a very friendly medium and i think people are very tolerant of mistakes like if Mm -hmm. you went to the cinema and watched a movie and there was like a glitch in one of the scenes you'd be like what the fuck like "Ah, surely you could have picked this up but in a podcast that's like a weekly show and you're kind of familiar with the guest or with the host um and the show if something were to happen in the in the middle of the episode that was like a bit right for example this is a, this is a, this is actually a good example so last year we patrick recorded a conversation with aswath demodoran um and it was an awesome awesome conversation and one of the, the our most popular we've ever done um and i think fifty thousand people had listened to this conversation at the point that someone pointed out on twitter that at about 60 minutes and the conversation was maybe like 80 minutes at about 60 minutes the outro music started playing behind the speakers um and <laughs> i was like could someone not have told me like maybe earlier we didn't have to go through fifty thousand people to tell me this information but i think that kind of speaks to that it's quite a friendly medium and people generally are willing to overlook some things so like, once you get comfortable with that once you've got enough reps under your belt like it all starts just to feel like normal work and i said to patrick and matt the other day i was like i actually like have come to really love the grind of doing this day in day out 
like mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind at all that none of this stuff in isolation might be that interesting i love the product we put out i get really energized by like finding interesting people to, to showcase to to our audience and i actually like doing all of the steps i discussed i would like become like really enjoyable to me in a, in a kind of a weird way because i know that every day like we're getting a little bit better at each of those things yeah. um and that compounds in a, in a really big way it's i mean i think a big part of the reason why you probably find some enjoyment is because that that process has iterated a lot and even when i stepped in you were already um doing so much of that and so when i got to peek at it it was like almost a seamless operation like there were only a, a few a few opportunities for things to go wrong um but i guess like in terms of podcasting more generally like when i when i think of people who really know or think about the business of podcasting like you and matt are really the only ones that show up and i'm sure there's people that are running podcast networks outside of that but there's very few amount of people that actually see like multiple podcasts being managed and launched do you have kind of views on what the podcasting landscape looks like moving forward in terms of popular podcasts today are they likely going to be popular five years from now 10 years from now etc and how much how many kind of newer uh, folks will disrupt the incumbents uh we, we talk about sometimes like the virality level of podcasting is relatively low compared to other forms of media um do you think that that's there's potential for disruption there yeah, so I should be clear. I'm I'm no, no like podcasting industry expert. In fact, I'd probably put my level of knowledge very low down on that. But like, given that I see on a daily basis, I can probably speak more to the content side of things than than like the the industry growth. Like, people will tell you that the level of monetization in the industry is much lower than it should be in terms of like its share of ear and kind of as a content as a medium. It is it doesn't do a very good job of monetizing itself. Um, and like the numbers will will prove that out. And I think Ben Thompson talks about how. In the early days of blogs and the internet, that again was an under under monetized um, medium, and it took Google to centralize that function of advertising to like to get growth of revenue of advertising dollars to the level it should be in terms of how many people were used like were on blogs and on the internet. And obviously, Spotify is trying to do a very similar thing with um, podcasting. And so the hope is that Spotify, um, in some ways, aggregates like all of the all the listener all the listeners in one place and then can serve ads in an efficient way that advertisers are willing to spend money in our ecosystem. Mm. Because at the moment it's very kind of direct relationship. Um, hence why you get all these mattress companies like going to different podcasters and saying, Hey, will you advertise us? Like hopefully that becomes centralized and someone does a good job of doing that, whether they're a Spotify or not. I don't know. So that's about where my knowledge um, like <laughs> end, ends on that side of things in terms of like whether it's possible to break into the, into the charts and like whether it's easy or not to or whether like the current top podcasters are probably going to be there for a while longer i think the answer to that is is yes and i think if you just look at the biggest podcasters in the world they've been around for a long they've like been doing their shows for a long time it's very difficult to airdrop in a new podcast and for it to be a huge hit and i'm like referring more to conversational type podcasts that i'm more familiar with um you know kind of the the drama drama types um are like not something that i'm really familiar with and maybe it's slightly easier there because you have a production house and you're like looking for a studio a story to tell and Mm -hmm. if and if you kind of know how to do that then maybe it's a bit bit more simple but again you still need the branding and the distribution but with conversational stuff it's no surprise that joe rogan or cool her daddy or like lex like they've all been doing these podcasts for years 
Yeah. And most of them started it not as a job. They started it as a thing that they enjoyed doing that then grew beyond their expectations. And now they have a huge podcast. And you just look at what Spotify tried to do by bringing in really big names and giving them a podcast and a platform to do it. And they're by and large axing most of those because you can't airdrop in someone and say, hey, do this podcast, loads of people listen to it. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't happen because it's such a long form medium. Like it's an mm -hmm. ongoing relationship. It's a never ending thing. And most big names, like why would I sit down for this on a weekly basis when I need to like either find a guest or have this conversation and like all the steps that you have to go through rather than if someone's like, oh, you know, the Barack Obama is a good example because I know like they they tried to get him to do a podcast and I think he did one. Um, and then after that, he was like, you know what, I, do, I probably don't need to do this. Um, and, and like that's kind of that. And that I think happens a lot in podcasting. The mm -hmm. people that are most successful are the ones that have been grinding out for years and went like years without anyone ever listening to their staff. And why is that interesting? Because like clearly their motivation is internal. Like they're doing it because they genuinely love either meeting people, talking to them about whatever it might be. They just get a thrill out of that. And then the bigger they get, obviously that kind of just adds to the fire and they can just do things a little bit better incrementally as they maybe get earn more dollars and then are able to reinvest back into their business. But like that's why I think it's very difficult to disrupt the top. And it's like why you don't see that much change. But I think if people, like if you wanted to crack the, the charts today, like there isn't really an easy way to come in and say, hey, um, like I'll pay for, you know, a hundred million downloads or whatever it might be. Yep. I'm sure you could do that. It'd be very expensive. Uh, and, and like it, it wouldn't work on a sustainable basis because you'd have to keep paying them. And like, ultimately the thing that wins in podcasting is just the quality of the conversation, the content you're having, because you're forming these kind of lifelong relationships with listeners who feel like they know you because you're in their ears and right. they're probably listening to you and with AirPods on or something and you kind of feel like the third person in the room with two other people and you start to like get to know them. When you watch a YouTube video or any kind of video, you never feel like you know the host as much as you do when you listen to a podcast and listen to the, that host. Um, and so if you have that ongoing relationship, it's like important for you to take the listener on the journey with you. Whoever you bring onto your podcast is probably like, they're going to be, they're going to tolerate because they, they trust you to like pick that next person for them. Um, which is great from a loyalty perspective, but then in terms of like trying to break into the charts, it's hard because people have got their people that they listen to. They have their, you know, their five or six shows that they might rotate through and they might be weekly shows. And like, you know, and there aren't that many days in the week that you can listen to more podcasts. Um, and so that, that bit's tough. Um, but there definitely is opportunities. And you do see, you know, you see like humans, probably a really good example of someone that kind of came from left field in some ways. Uh, and it's done a really, really good job mm. of, of, of cracking a niche. The um, I don't think we've talked about this book before, but have you heard of uh, I think it was in 1997 it was published called The Sovereign Individual. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting because Peter Thiel uh writes the the preface of it and he's basically commenting on how how much foresight the authors had in writing the book, but a huge piece of the thesis is that with the ushering in of the information age as a result of the creation of the microprocessor what's likely to happen is a huge fragmentation in terms of the power of nation states as we've traditionally known them and the reason why the book is called the sovereign individual is because individuals and i think it's in lockstep with the whole term of like influencers um are going to have an incredible amount of power um, kind of in this next millennia. And a huge reason for that is because they can build relationships without any friction of any government oversight. And it's it's kind of incredible in terms of reading through the foresight that they, they had because they talk a lot about 
what they didn't call it then because it wasn't created, but Bitcoin um, and a lot of these other kind of new social engineering and kind of vehicles for human organization. And to me, like podcasting feels like that. Like you are, you can create a relationship with somebody that you have never even spoken to, um, which, which is pretty, pretty incredible. And you like, you have a pretty good idea of who they are as a, you know, I like say the very first podcast I ever hosted for Colossus was with Neil Schuster, who is one of the co-founders of No Laying Up, the golf podcast I used to listen to religiously. Um, And it was a very, very weird experience for me getting onto a Zoom call with him because I was like, I feel like I know you really, really well, Um, but we've never, you don't, you, you literally do not know who I am because I'm just another like I'm, I'm one in your podcast analytics um, and, and like, and it's, you know, somewhere in the UK, but then he, he kind of, and people are, cause when I tell people before that I've spoken to him, they're like, like, what was he like? And the answer is he was like remarkably like you would expect him to be like, because you've listened to hours of, of him talking and so you yeah. kind of, and, and you like, you listen to someone enough on a show like that, where they're talking a lot, you do get, through to the authentic person at the other uh, like uh, in the end there's only so long people can kind of keep their mask on but if you're listening to someone week in week out you kind of get through to like what they think about the world and the type of person that they are which i think is so cool and you know we've had this debate a lot internally with some other people about the the, the value of different followers or listeners across different platforms so from podcasting to youtube to tiktok to twitter like all of these different social platforms and I think podcasting, like rightly so, comes at like the the comes the lowest there in terms of like the value of one listener is is much like you you I don't know you might equate to a hundred Instagram followers um, or something like that, and and so you don't need that big an audience to have a really deep connection with a lot of people, and then like from an advertising perspective, obviously that's more valuable to them because you could have more influence over them. If if I say to you know if if Patrick on his show says he loves this product there's a pretty good chance that like people will pick that up and say like oh if he really likes it then i probably really like it too mm. um but what versus if he had an instagram then if he has an instagram but if he had an instagram of like a million people and he said i really love this thing i'm sure there'll be some conversion but the conversion would be a lot lower it's just a very different feeling um and medium but that you know to your point that <laughs> creates challenges with virality because it's just a very slow moving thing um it doesn't spread very easily you know if i try and share any of our podcasts I either have to choose a site that aggregates all the different platforms on there. And so mm-hmm. it says like, oh, well, listen to this, listen to my episode with Tyler. Um, but here's, here's a, a landing page that will give you seven different links that you can choose which podcast player you want to go to. Or I just pick a player and I send you the Apple podcast thing, but you've got an Android phone. So like, it doesn't really work. Um, like it, there are just so, there's so much friction inherent in the process of doing that, that they're very difficult to grow. Um, and so you need to find other ways to, to help spread the word. Um, but when you, I, um, I was going to ask when you first joined Colossus, like at that point, was it just Invest Like the Best or were there other shows in the queue? So there was Invest Like the Best. Um, they'd also launched Founders Field Guide um, in the Invest Like the Best feed. So that was um, twice a week. Patrick was having a conversation, Invest Like the Best, and then Thursdays, or he would have that on Tuesdays, and then on Thursdays, he would do Founders Field Guide. And they had just literally just launched Business Breakdowns. And yeah, and so I guess on that point, it's like you guys have gone through maybe three or four podcast launches at this point, mm-hmm. like in terms of those experiences of what went into a successful launch and plans for other podcasts that could potentially come, like 
what has that experience been like? Because it's not easy to start a podcast. I mean, especially if you are an individual like myself and you just want to start a podcast, like you, like one is the technological barriers is you do need to learn how to edit in Descript, uh, upload to Transistor, all that stuff. So there, even though it's like frictionless in the sense that anybody could do it, there's quite a lot of friction of like actually getting to the point of uploading on a regular basis. Um, but from the perspective of the launches that you guys have seen, any insights or learnings there? The biggest thing, whenever anyone talks to me about like starting a show, the only thing I care about, because they often are asking about like, you know, how important is the artwork or how, where should I get the artwork from? Like, what should I call the thing? I'm like, before you do any of that, like really, really, really ask yourself, like, why are you doing this thing? Because for all the reasons we just talked about, you need to be doing it for a long time for it to have any chance of growing successfully. And like, even within a network like ours, it's not, it's not, you can't just click your fingers, launch something and then have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers um, that listen to your show on a weekly basis. Like it's going to take you probably years. And like, that's no exaggeration. And so like, are, is the reason that you're launching this thing because you're genuinely like insatiably curious about this topic and you just want to find every person on the planet who knows anything about it and you want to grill them, uh, you know, for an hour about whatever, whatever it is it is. Like whatever the niche is that you're talking about, do you see yourself doing this? Probably indefinitely. Uh, like, and, and, and if not, like, at what point would you stop? And why would you stop? And like asking those questions and really like getting some clarity around why you're doing it is the most important thing. And until someone can like really clearly articulate why that those things are true or like a, or give me a, a proper why, then like the rest of it just doesn't matter at all. And I, and that's the same when we've like, you know, dealt with hosts in the past or people that come to us and say, Hey, I want to watch this podcast because the business world, there are so many different verticals in it. There are so many different opportunities to create really interesting podcasts, but having a host that like, because ultimately the burden will fall on them to do like a lot of the marketing be, because you kind of have, because people are forming a relationship with the host, the host then needs to be out there in public, like giving back to their listeners over time. Like that's how you grow a podcast through word of mouth, through being in the community that you're bought building. And like, if people aren't willing to invest into that side of it, as well as the content side of it, then I think it becomes really difficult um, to have a sustainable and growing show over time. Um, and that's before you've even like recorded anything. So like, just un like having that be a really solid foundation. And then from there, you know, just getting as many reps as possible in ahead of launching anything, because you probably want to launch with at least three shows is kind of what we've, three episodes is kind of what we've learned. Hmm. You want to have a, a little bit of, inventory that people who go there they can the, your first episode might not be for them like hopefully it is a pretty catch-all in terms of the niche that you're looking for but yep. of three there's a better chance that there is something for them to listen to or they listen to the first one and they love the first episode so then like there is something there's something to for them to binge whether that's episode two and three and then the next week or whatever cadence you want to end up doing it on um like they they can then wait for the next piece so that's kind of the thing is like getting enough reps like getting the practice in because the only way to do to to like to get better is to practice this stuff. Unfortunately, because it's a podcast, you record it, and like you kind of have to listen back to yourself early on. And like you'll you'll like I hate the way I sound. I talk too quickly. I mumble a lot. I say like I'm an R too much. Like all of this stuff, I know is true. But and I think I'm getting slightly better at it. Um, but it's it's like you just learn by doing. And so I don't know, giving yourself, you know, when before we launched ma launched making media, I think we spent four months like recording episodes between me and Matt and the initial premise of the show 
was like it was kind of like an inside colossus type show but it was just going to be me and him talking to each other about the content that we had distributed during during the week mm-hmm. um and we 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 recorded probably eight or nine episodes like that um and we were really enjoying them but then when we started sampling other people's views they were like yeah like it's kind of it's the, the main most consistent piece of feedback was like it was more interesting than i thought it was going to be um which is probably not a great place to start but then like how do we we do want to do something we do want to learn a bit more about media and like be kind of uh, and build some sort of um presence behind the colossus brand so like what is the thing going to be and then when we settled on actually like really leaning in onto learning about media like that then kind of unlocked this different way of looking at it and that gave us the flexibility to do these kind of inside colossus episodes where we just talk about things that have happened in our business or how we're looking to grow it but then we can also bring in people like Ardy Ignatius or Neil onto the show and talk about how they're building their media businesses and like actually what tactics can we learn that they've been through you know they've they've been through the trenches before like what bits can we learn without having to walk the same path that they did um and so and, and it literally took probably three four months for us to get to a point that we were comfortable launching the very first episode um and you know we're doing this on a daily basis like most people who's launching a podcast aren't spending every day thinking about podcasts so that mm-hmm. process pro- is probably going to be longer for, for them well, you you went, uh, let's say, almost three years or so, all on the content creation, management, operation side of it, and then starting this new project with Matt on on making media. What what why why the wait, and what was the impetus for actually engaging in it? Are there specific goals that are outlined, or is this more kind of see what happens and unfolds? I think there was like for a long time, I was kind of clinging on to I'm an investor. And I was almost like feeling like I was losing my personality on a daily basis because I was like, felt like I was losing the knowledge that I used to have as an investor. But what I like should have been doing, and it got to a point where I was like, actually, I should just embrace being a media person because like I had never been a media person. I was an investor, but now all of a sudden I'm, you know, helping to run this media business. So I should probably go all in and learn as much as I possibly can about media itself. Um, and when you're running a podcast, a podcast network, and this isn't for everyone because people I've talked to have gone the complete opposite way, but like, it's probably helpful and you can have a bit more empathy if you're hosting your own podcast. Cause you can like understand some of the challenges of, you know, it's very easy to be an armchair critic. And I've done a few business breakdowns, but they were kind of a bit more sporadic than like hosting your own show and kind of going through the motions. And so like, and Matt and I were kind of thinking about it and why did it take so long? I think like it, it's uncomfortable to put yourself in public. It's like one of the big things and we're pretty busy anyway. So like, do we really want to put something else on our plate that requires all of the stuff that we've talked about and it's kind of completely on us. Um, and it took a while for us to get comfortable with both of those two different things that we could, we could do this and that we wanted to do it. And, um, and then like, it was a case of like trying to find the format that was going to work for us. Um, and since doing it, uh, but, but like the biggest thing for me, in terms of the why that I was asking before, like really was kept coming back to just like learning more about the media business um, and from people that have way more experience than I do. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to have a podcast because it's if I email 15 people and just say, hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time? I work at Colossus um, and like, I would love to pick your brains. My hit rate is going to be far lower doing that than it is going to be like, hey, I have a podcast called Making Media as part of the Colossus brand. Like, really love to learn from you. I love what you do. Um, it's just going to be exponentially higher than um, what it would be if I, was, if I didn't have a podcast. And we've, we found that to be true. Hmm. And then like the connections you make off the back end. So once you've spoken to someone and then you can have an ongoing conversation with them over email or whatever it might be, or, you know, 
spin up another zoom with them and say hey you talked about this this is a really interesting concept like that has been so valuable to us as a business in so many different ways we found business breakdowns guests through we've had conversations with other media people that have given us insights into how we should be thinking about our own business and it forces me to get smarter as well because like before these conversations i have to do more research on media writ large yeah and you know like it's very easy just to go about your daily job doing like what you need to do to be able to put really high quality content out there and then just think i don't need to learn about what's happening in the rest of the media space um but this like forces you no 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 like there are plenty of things happening and plenty of people like way smarter than you that you should probably be thinking about reading about learning about etc that you can put and play in your own house um and so like having that kind of forcing function on a weekly basis is is actually really useful it's a, it's a nice pressure to have yeah i mean we've we've talked about this before but in terms of the whole networking side of like traditional business and the investing landscape is there's all these conferences that get spun up and it's it's always a little bit awkward because there's like a lot of different people maybe you recognize some of them but trying to build relationships that way is is pretty challenging and when the way that i look at it at least is having conversations that you are preparing for and it's like an hour, hour and a half long one-on-one conversation where you're asking good questions. It's like very defined what the conversation is going to be about is like a very different experience from a relationship building perspective compared to almost any other traditional kind of forms of uh, networking in the business world. It's so true. I should have said, yeah, I'm a terrible networker. So this really helps me like build a network. And we, as you said, we've talked about it before. I'm actually reading a book at the moment and it talks about why people feel so uncomfortable in public spaces to, like when someone comes and talks to them and mm. i feel this keenly as an introvert like i get very uncomfortable in these situations when someone like walks over to me and says hey um like and just starts talking to me and the thing that this book says is like one of the big pieces of why you feel uncomfortable is because you don't know when it's going to end you don't know whether they're going to be there for 30 seconds asking you one quick question or whether they mm. want to chew your ear for 30 minutes and like not having a defined end point in your mind it makes you really uncomfortable as a human and I had never really thought about it, but it's true. And then a podcast gives you the guardrails because you're like, hey, this is going to take an hour. After an hour, we're going to log off and we're going to move on. And hopefully, yep. like, I've asked really good questions. You've given me really good answers. Or, like, there is a very clear um, you know, field of play. And that, like, on a personal front, is really helpful to me. <laughs> hundred percent. And well, this is this is why I have so much respect for the 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 structure that you and uh, and Matt run for making media because you guys are doing a two on one, right? Where it's you know you have one guest and the both of you are kind of chiming in with commentary. And from listeners' perspective, at least from my perspective, it's like a very seamless process. And I'm like shocked that you guys aren't like stepping on each other's toes and doing all that. And I realize there's some prep work that happens in in the background, um, but that's it's super impressive, and I'm very excited to kind of follow along with uh, how how that plays out. That's really kind. Yeah, it's um kind of a voyage of discovery, and the ed- edit- editing with podcasting is just magic. Like there's podcast arbitrage where you can just edit out all the the instances where you talk over each other or whatever it might be, or the the long awkward pause that never needs to get heard. Um, but we have a Google Doc, and the system like now is pretty tight. Where um Matt Matt hovers over the Google Doc to like say your question, my question, etc. But it is it's it's definitely more challenging doing like doing an interview with someone else because there might there are areas that I'm like much more interested in than Matt and I can tell when his eyes start glazing over when I'm asked my third question in a row <laughs> about this very specific thing 
where he's like, can we, can we please move on? Um, and then you start getting uncomfortable. You're like, well, I did have a fourth question, but uh, like out of respect to Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this one to him. Uh, but on the whole, like I, I much prefer doing it with him just because he gives me more energy. It's like cool for us to talk to each other about it. Um, and like there is, you know, obviously it does take some pressure off in terms of sourcing guests and stuff because it's a, it's a shared burden. Mm. When we, when we spoke earlier about what I call the law of exposure, but in, in Patrick's terms, like the definitions of excellence is, you know, the, the highest level of excellence that you've been exposed to. Um, like the reason why I am calling this podcast, like Tyler's idea exchange is in part, because I think that like conversation and podcasting in some, some respects is really just an exchange of ideas. And the hope is that like you, get exposed to better ideas and in the process can kind of throw away lesser uh, or poorer ideas. Um, in terms of the closing question that I hope to ask uh, every every guest, for you, like what have you most changed your mind about either, or it could be over the course of your career or it can just be recently about podcasting or, or life in general. Is there anything that like you've like seriously changed your mind about recently? Um, I... Not necessarily recently. I think I probably approached this more from like a career perspective. And I think I would always assume that I was going to end up at a big business earning good money in like a very kind of a brand that everyone knows. And I think when, you know, when I was applying to places out of university, it was all the like the big banks that you'd heard of. Um, and I think I thought that was going to be my path and I was going to just work my way through the business um, and end up in a, you know, a comfortable position there and kind of financially outside of it. But like a very, I wouldn't say quickly, but I realized that that, that like that doesn't work for me. Um, because like, it's just not that interesting on a personal front. I know a lot of people have very good careers doing that, but for me, it just doesn't, it's like, that's not going to be the thing that gives me most fulfillment. And actually I needed to do something completely different. And I think like going through the process of learning about investing, just generally the whole concept of like, you don't risk and reward are so linked like to, to really like to hit the high highs in anything you need to take risk on to be able to do it mm. and if you don't then like you're just going to be very live a very like middle of the road life which and i don't mean to disparage that but that's just like this is just me to, talking on a, on a personal level yep. like if i was just going to take the safe choices all the way through my career i was going to live a really like unfulfilling career because I just it wasn't ever going to get any energy from it I needed to do something radically different and like actually take a few risks and say I'm going to step away from what I thought I wanted to do and like really figure out what I do want to do and like that was kind of more of a process of listening to things that I was doing already but wasn't taking seriously in terms of a career whether it was just like really enjoying podcasts where like not that many other people were listening to them okay well like maybe there's something there and like I couldn't have ever drawn the link between you know listening to Patrick's podcast and then end up working for him I still find that a strange concept and you, you know you open the show up by saying the internet is kind of a miracle in that way and it definitely is and like a number of different things had to happen for this to be where I am today working on this particular business that I'm super grateful for but like it's just a case of like don't choose the path that looks kind of the easiest, just like be willing and everything to take small risks, appropriate risks, like not things that are going to kill you, but like just to test yourself and say, okay, if, if I take that route, then I can kind of see where I'm going to get to But the one that looks a bit more uncertain, a bit riskier, like that's probably the one you should be wandering down because you'll learn more about yourself. You'll probably enjoy the process a bit more. And like, there's this thing where, you know, people just kind of glide through life without ever realizing it. But the times at which you have most visceral memories are the times when you've probably been most on the edge 
Mm. And so, and I think that's true, like in la- in your career generally as well. Like if you're not quite sure where you're going to be next year, it just makes today a little bit more exciting because it's like, I have to, you know, I can create what I, where I'll be next year. Yeah. So like, let me just do the best I can do today and then tomorrow and the next day. And that will give me the best chance of being in a place that I'm going to be really happy with next year, but I can't worry about next year because I don't know what it's going to look like. So let me just put all my energy into today. Incredible answer. I think, I think a lot about the social inertia of university students and especially those that follow a career path that like you and I had followed, which is like study economics or business or whatever. And then it's that first couple of internships that you get, those full-time internships, they end up playing a big factor in where you start full-time. And then that first full-time job, unless you make like a deliberate effort to somehow try and change up your lifestyle or try something new. It's like, that is the the glide path that you're on. Um, yeah. And it's, it's pretty incredible to see that, like how you have evolved. Cause especially because you had been at that investment firm for like multiple years, right? You had invested yeah, yeah, like a lot like, of time. Yeah, five, yeah. Five and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to see you now and uh, following you and your journey with making media and the collaborations with Matt has been a real joy. Um, so I appreciate you kind of entertaining this and being an early guest. And uh, I look forward to many more conversations to come. Not at all. It's a pleasure. Always love talking to you. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Idea Exchange podcast. For more information on the podcast and more information about myself, you can visit tylercho.com. I also send out a monthly newsletter to friends, family, colleagues, and audience members where I share the best ideas that I came across from that month, whether it was from books that I've been reading, podcasts that I've been listening to, or conversations that I've had. So feel free to subscribe to that on my homepage. Until next time.